Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the prophecy of Israel as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 21. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. God has punished my iniquities already. So it is not consistent that God would punish me for my iniquities because he has already punished his son for my iniquities. All we like sheep have turned astray. We've gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own ways. And God hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. Christ bore the punishment for my iniquity, and therefore it would not be consistent that God would punish me for my iniquities. That's what salvation and the gospel is all about. You don't have to bear the punishment of God for your iniquities. Jesus took it for you. That's the good news that we have to this dying world. So come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut the door until this Time of indignation is over. Hide yourself for a moment. So I take great comfort in that. I take great delight and pleasure. Those who have a post-tribulation view get no comfort, no pleasure, no joy out of that verse of Scripture. (laughs) Chapter 27, in that day. Now, what day? In the day in which God is bringing the great tribulation upon the earth. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, so Satan. And he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. You you saw the beast coming out of the sea in Revelation having ten horns and so forth, and with the mouth of a dragon, the Antichrist, Satan, the powers of darkness. In that day, sing ye unto her a vineyard of red wine. Now, verse 27 really goes back with those of 26. Now, in that day, sing unto her, that is to Israel, a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment. Lest any hurt it, I will keep it night and day. Fury is not in me. Or who would set the briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them. I would burn them together. You, you, can't, uh, you can't put up barbed wire to keep God out. Or let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. He shall cause them that come of Jacob to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Now here is just a neat little prophecy tucked in God's statement of of how he's going to uh, again bless the nation Israel, how he again is going to make them his vineyard. It's quite a contrast with chapter 5, where God speaks out the woes against his vineyard, how he had taken care of the vineyard and all, but it didn't bring forth fruit, brought forth just wild grapes, and so he let the vineyard go. Now God says the day is coming when he's going to take again his vineyard and watch over it and keep it and water it and dress it, and he shall cause them that come of Jacob 
to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Already we are seeing this prophecy fulfilled. Israel is blossoming and budding and filling the earth with fruit. Israel is the fourth largest exporter of fruit in, of any nation in the world. The United States leads in the exporting of fruit. But Israel is the third largest fruit exporting nation in the world. And yet it is smaller than the state of California. But not only has Israel gone into the exporting of fruit all over Europe. Actually, there are these jumbo jets that are flying out of Tel Aviv every night to the major uh, cities of Europe taking fruit and taking flowers. In the wintertime, you can buy fresh flowers in, in the flower shops throughout all of Europe. Where do they come from? They come from Israel. They grow the flowers year-round down in the Jordan Valley, and, and they ship them out overnight on these jumbo jets to the markets of Europe. And the same with the fruit. You buy the oranges and the fruit from Israel uh, in the markets of Europe. It is blossoming, it is budding, filling the earth with fruit, and also with flowers, the interesting blossom and bud. Hath he smitten him as he smote those that smote him, or is he slain according to the slaughter of them that are slain by him? In measure, when it shooteth forth, thou wilt debate with it. He stayeth his rough wind in the day of the east wind. And by this, therefore, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. And this is all the fruit to take away his sin when he maketh all the stones of the altar as chalk stones that are beaten in sunder and groves and images shall not stand up. Yet the defense city shall be desolate, and the habitation forsaken, and left like the wilderness. There shall the calf feed, and there shall he lie down and consume the branches thereof. In other words, the barrenness that would happen to the nation Israel, which did happen. The cities were destroyed, and the land was a wilderness for so long. And when the boughs thereof are withered, they shall be broken off. The women come and set them on fire for the people of no understanding. Therefore, he that made them will not have mercy on them, and he that formed them will show them no favor, but it shall come to pass. They, they went through this barren wilderness, but it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river unto the stream of Egypt, and ye shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel." And it shall come to pass in that day that a great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcast of the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. God's regathering of his people back into the land. Chapter 28, now the prophet turns to the local present issues. He, he is now, you know, he's gone off to down the road to the end of things. Now he comes back and he begins to speak of the northern kingdom. The major tribe was Ephraim there in the northern kingdom. And so the nation of Israel is, is addressed as Ephraim, its major, major tribe. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, 
which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and a strong one, which is as a tempest of hell and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet. So Isaiah is here predicting the invasion of the northern kingdom by Assyria. The northern kingdom was filled with pride. The northern kingdom was filled with prosperity, the fat valleys. The northern kingdom was filled with a careless attitude as people were seeking mirth and merriment and pleasure rather than God, and judgment was hanging over their heads. And yet they were giving themselves just to drunkenness. Here they were standing in, in a critical place in their history. They're about to be devoured by their enemies. The nation is at the end of the road. They're not going to go any further. And yet the attitude of the people is not a serious attitude of repentance towards God and seeking God, but it is an attitude of, of just seeking pleasure and, and just drinking and, and trying not to think of the heavy judgment that was hanging over them. It seems that people are always oblivious. That is, the general public is oblivious, though doom is hanging over it. And so it will be when Jesus comes. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of Noah, the people were just eating, drinking, the, the same you know, thing of, of just going on and pretending like there's nothing wrong, not realizing that the judgment of God is hanging over them and they're about to be destroyed. Right until the day that Noah went into the ark, the people were going on with just things as usual, drinking and, and partying and the whole thing, until Noah was in the ark and it began to rain and suddenly they woke up, but then it was too late. Now here's Ephraim. Judgment is hanging over them, but they're going on in drunkenness, in their pride and all, and not until... Shenekrib comes down with the Assyrian forces, and then it's too late. We look at the world today, and we see people that are just so oblivious to the impending judgment of God that is hanging over the world today. We see all of these forces of evil. We see people so outspoken with their evil, so brazen in their display of evil, things that people used to be ashamed of and would seek to deny or hide from. Now they are prating in the streets with banners, advertising their sin. And we are ripening towards judgment. And the heavy hand of God is hanging over us. And God's judgment is about to fall. And yet people seem to be totally oblivious to it, going on seeking pleasure, going on in their pride, and seeking the prosperity, not realizing that suddenly it's going to come and God's judgment is going to strike. And so the sad picture of Ephraim and the prophet speaks out against it. Ephraim's going to be trodden underfoot. And within three years from the time of this prophecy, it happened. 
the great and glorious nation that God had favored and blessed was destroyed. And I really feel that the United States is in much the same position, a great and glorious nation which has been blessed of God, but I believe that the heavy cloud of God's wrath hangs over us because of the things that we have allowed and promoted in this land. And he speaks of the glorious beauty which was in the head of the fat valley shall be a fading flower, and as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when it looks upon it, it's, it seeth, and while it is yet in the hand, he eateth it up. In, the, in that day the Lord of hosts will be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. But here they were glorying in the crown of glory of the fat valleys and so forth, but they're going to be wiped out. Now, even those that were being warned by the prophet just made fun of the prophet, but they also have erred through wine and through the strong drink. They've gone out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through the strong drink. They are swallowed up with wine. They're out of the way through strong drink. They err in their vision and they stumble in their judgment. And God speaks out against the drinking and how it has perverted their minds and deadened and dulled their senses and has turned them out of their way, bringing them into error, causing them to err in their vision and in their judgment. Drinking, it seems, always clouds a person's vision and actually destroys good judgment, destroys your inhibitions. People do the dumbest things when they're drunk, things that they would never do when they were sober. But it, it just always messes up your judgment. You, you don't have good judgment when you're drinking. And we recognize that. Our laws recognize that. That's why we have laws that you're not to drive when you've been drinking because it messes up your vision. It messes up your judgment. And yet here the people were, that, they were giving themselves over to this, messing up their lives. And God's heavy hand, when you need to have clear insight, when you really need to see what's going on, you can't see because you're into the liquor. When you need to have good judgment and make the right moves, you don't have the ability to do so. The liquor has clouded your minds. Prophet speaks very graphically of them, for all their tables are full of vomit and filthiness. There isn't it a clean place around them. But yet they mock at the prophet of God. They say to the prophet of God, whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. In other words, who's he going to teach? <laughs> he ought to go down and teach the little babies that have just been weaned from the breast. You know, let him teach the preschoolers. Who's he going to teach? For his teaching, precept is upon precept, line is upon line. Here a little, there a little. But the prophet declares that God has declared, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, 
This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Now, interesting, this verse is couched in here, and you wonder, what in the world is that verse about, and what does it have to do with the context? As he's talking about Ephraim and the judgment that is coming and the blurred vision and the distorted judgment because of their drinking and all, and their mockery of his teaching method, saying he ought to be teaching kindergartners for his teaching is so simple, line upon line, precept upon precept. And then out of the middle of this, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith he may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, and yet they would not hear. Now, Paul the Apostle, in writing to the Corinthian church about the abuse of the gift of tongues, as he speaks to them of this gift of tongues, he picks out this little verse and says this is what God was talking about when in Isaiah he said, for with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people, and this is the rest wherewith I will cause the weary to rest. Interesting. Paul picks that out and interprets that as a reference or a prophecy of the gift of speaking with other tongues that God would pour out upon the church. And that the gift of speaking in tongues would be a restful experience to those who exercised it. This is the rest wherewith I will cause the weary to rest. And so it would be a very restful experience to those who would exercise the use of that gift. Very interesting, very fascinating. And I have found that in my own devotional life, when I have a problem and I don't know how to pray over a particular situation, or I have a problem and I want to praise God and I feel a total inadequacy in English, that as I begin to praise the Lord in the Spirit or I begin to pray in the Spirit, that it is such a restful experience. And I just find great rest in it. Is there great peace in it? And... Um, so Paul picks this out as a, as a prophecy concerning those that would exercise that gift in their personal devotional life, that it would be just a restful experience. And then he gets right back into the subject again. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. In other words, it was so simple that they would stumble over it. They wouldn't hear it. They wouldn't obey it. And thus they would be snared and taken. Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule the people. And it not only is this, uh, the Samaria, but now in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell we are, in, we are at agreement. And with the overflowing scourge shall pass through. It will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hid ourselves. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay 
in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the pulmet, and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place, and your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then it's, you will be trodden down by it. You may say, well, you know, we've made an agreement with hell and or death, and we're in agreement with hell. It's not going to touch us. You know, you warn us, you say, not going to hit us, you know. And made refuge your lies, but God's going to sweep away your refuges. And the judgment shall come, and you'll be overthrown by it. But in the midst of it, the Lord has set for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. That's a sure foundation. That's something that won't let you down. That's something you can rest in, the sure foundation that God has established, Jesus Christ, the precious cornerstone, which was set up not by the builders, but the Lord has made it, made him the chief cornerstone. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Isaiah on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Isaiah 26 through 28 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you. May he bring you into a fresh awareness of his presence, and may you experience a fresh work of God within your lives. And may you come into a deeper relationship of love, love for God and love for each other. And especially, may God give you a heart of praise and rejoicing so that your life might be pleasing to him as you rejoice in the Lord always. God bless and God keep. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. The Word for Today has published a New Testament designed for an unbeliever or a new believer. 
just as much as it is for a Bible teacher. Highlights include Pastor Chuck's commentaries that get right to the point on Scripture passages, words of Christ in red for easy reading, an A through Z topical Scripture index covering over 250 topics relevant to life application, and a section that answers frequently asked questions such as, is there evidence of Christ's resurrection? And what's God's will for my life? So if you're looking for a Bible to give to a friend, or if you're a ministry that's been searching for a simple New Testament that does most of the teaching for you, then you'll enjoy the Word for Today New Testament with Pastor Chuck's commentary notes. To order, please call the Word for Today at 800-272-9673. Or to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org.